Welcome, I'm Cliff Hedges. This is Pastor Cliff's Notes. This is the podcast where we're studying the Bible. We're working our way through the book of Titus. Today is episode 692. We'll look at Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. Let's read the passage. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts, and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. Proclaim these things, encourage and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. This is Paul's letter to Titus. Paul is in Corinth, and he's left Titus in Crete, on the island of Crete, with the assignment to complete what remains to be done yet, and to appoint elders in every town. Apparently, Paul had been there with Titus. They had done some evangelistic work, and there were a lot of new fledgling churches, and they needed some foundation to stand upon. And essential to that foundation is godly leadership. So Titus is to appoint elders in each of these churches to help lead the churches. But Titus is also dealing with some false teachers. There's a problem with some people who apparently were part of the Christian community and now have drifted off balance and are teaching some things that are flat wrong. So you identify some things about these false teachers. They seem to be Jewish in their pushing a lot of things that the false teachers in Ephesus were pushing as far as myths and genealogies and strange practices. And his instructions to Titus are to teach things correctly. The gospel, the gospel that he has been taught, the gospel that Paul teaches, teach that, teach it faithfully. So in the last section, we looked at some ethical concerns, that is how to live. And he talked about different People in the churches, the older men, older women, younger men, younger women, slaves, how they were to live. Now he's going to give the theology behind that. Verse 11, he says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Now, we read this, we know who he's talking about. He's talking about the appearance of Christ, the coming of Christ, and the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We often call that the Christ event, the coming of Christ and his death, which brings about salvation for all people. Now, when we see all people, we generally think of geography, all the people around the world. But the intent here for the people on the island of Crete is probably not all the people around the world, but all kinds of people, specifically all classes of people. It's very easy to get into some kind of elitism and assume that because I'm wealthy or I'm well-to-do, I'm better off than other people, God likes me better. But Paul just had instructions for the slaves on how they are to live as Christians and bring honor to the name of Christ. So even slaves are part of these people that the grace of God has appeared and brought salvation to. So it's brought about salvation to all people of all social strata. And that grace 
teaches us. So verse 12, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. So this grace of God, which has appeared, instructs us, teaches us, guides us, and it guides us in what not to do, to deny godlessness and worldly lusts, but also guides us in what to do, to live sensible, righteous, and godly way. Now, that's all in the present age. So, notice a, there's a past, present, and future to this. The grace of God has appeared, a past event, but it instructs us on how to live right now in the present age. But then verse 13, while we wait for the blessed hope. And those is looking to the future. So, verse 13, we're being instructed to how to live because of this grace of God that has appeared. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So here's the future. We're waiting for this thing to happen. We wait for the blessed hope. Now, hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is what we're counting on. Hope is what we're expecting. And then he defines that hope. We wait for this blessed hope, and that hope is the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the grace of God has appeared in verse 11, but now we're waiting for the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he, Christ has appeared, the first coming of Christ, and brought salvation. Now we're waiting for the second coming of Christ, which will be in glory. Now this wording is kind of awkward here. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, we know there's no commas in the original Greek, and the challenge is how to translate that. You could make this, you know, just cut it up a little bit differently and talk about the appearing of the glory of our great God, and then the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Talking about God, talking about Jesus Christ. Or you could say it's the appearing of him who is the glory of our God and Savior, speaking of the Father, because he's already referred to as God the Savior, which is Jesus Christ. So a lot of ways you could make this, but if you'll look, you'll notice practically all English translations do it this way. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of rules for interpreting Greek that make it fall out that way that this is referring to Jesus Christ. So the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice we were assigning the title God to Jesus Christ. Sometimes he applies Savior to God the Father. Sometimes he assigns Savior to Jesus Christ. That's easy enough to understand. Father God is the author of salvation. He's the one who makes salvation happen. But Jesus Christ is the one who makes salvation possible. He's the one who did what is necessary for salvation. So we often generally refer to Jesus Christ as the Savior. But it's appropriate to call God the Father the Savior. But here he ties the title God to Jesus Christ. Now this is one of the several places we see in the New Testament, the divinity of Christ, that Jesus Christ is God, God the Son along with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, comprise the Trinity.
Now, some people who don't like that idea try to make it work out differently, but the, the best Greek scholars say this, this is the way to translate it properly. Now, verse 14, he's talking about what Christ has done. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. So now he's talking about what Christ has done. He gave himself, so he died on the cross for our salvation. So he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse us. So redeem us from all lawlessness, save us from sin and cleanse us. So to save us and to purify us, to purify us for himself, for his own people. He has the people of God, Christ's people, the church people who have been cleansed from sinfulness, cleansed to be pure, to be his people. And then there's the outflow to that, eager to do good works. So notice that's the outflow of salvation. Don't do good works to earn salvation, but we, we do good things. We do what God wants us to do. We do what Christ has instructed us to do because of what he has done. Now, verse 15, Paul says, Proclaim these things. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. In chapter 2, verse 1, he said, Proclaim these things. Then chapter 2, verse 15, he says, Proclaim these things. So it shows this section right here, verses 1 through 15 of chapter 2. That's a big deal. That's important. Proclaim these things. So take note, this is important. Then he says, encourage and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. So encourage those that are willing to be encouraged. Rebuke those that will not be encouraged, those that will not obey. And stand firm on the authority that Paul has assigned to him. So this section, he's basically saying that God's grace has appeared, and it brings salvation to all people. And it teaches us to say no to sin and to live truly Christian lives in the here and now. And we also look forward to the second coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And he gave himself to free us from sin and cleanse us to be his people. Fairly simple passage, but pretty deep theologically. And he's restating the gospel here of what Christ has done and our response to it. And it's fleshing out the theology behind the ethical guidance he gave last time, how to live godly lives. He talked about live respectably, which you could come up with any rationale for that or any kind of philosophy to, well, just live good, respectable lives. And now he's putting the theology behind it. No, live good, respectable lives because we are God's people, and he has equipped us to not fall into sin, but to be the people he wants us to be. Thanks for joining me. Join me again next time So continue working through Titus.